Good morning. Welcome to Kavanaugh Church. Will you stand with us? Boy, it is good to be home in Fort Smith, America. <laughs> I want you to sing with us the only name that matters to me.
Good morning, Kavanaugh. Now, mine was more energetic than yours. Eh? Everybody good? We, we, have, uh, we have spent the last 12 days in the Holy Land. Thank you, church, for sending Angie and I on a once-in-a-lifetime trip. It's fantastic. We, we, left, uh, we left Jerusalem from our hotel at 12.15 Friday morning, their time, and traveled for 30 hours and finally made it back to Fort Smith, Arkansas. Uh, we made it safely, but our luggage is still in Frankfurt, Germany. So I don't know if I'll ever see those suitcases again. So anyway, it's good to be in the Lord's house today, worshiping with you. So welcome. If you are a guest today, we extend to you a warm welcome. You'll see a guest card in the chair back in front of you. If you fill that out and after service, take it to the connect counter right outside these doors. We'll exchange that card for a coffee mug and a free gift certificate to Chick-fil-A, which is quite a deal. But you know what? This is a great day. It is Father's Day. Woohoo! Give it up for the dads. Awesome. We, we love men around here. We're so thankful for our fathers. My dad is out of town today. He went to see his uh, favorite child, my sister, and so... <laughs> He's in, uh, he's in Stanton, Texas. Dad, if you're watching this service, I love you. You're the best dad in the entire world, and I'm surrounded by the best men in the world. So we love the guys here at Cavanaugh Church, and we've got a gift for you. Every year we've got Father's Day gifts. This is one of my old standby gifts. It's one of my favorite gifts that we've given, and it's been years since we've given this gift. I can remember when I was a kid, my dad carried uh, some baling wire and some snippers with him wherever he went because if something broke, you could fix it with baling wire. Y'all remember those days? Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. But you know what? The baling wire is not available today like it was back then. We have instead duct tape. Yoo-hoo, duct tape. So I'm going to ask the helpers to come up here, and for every guy that is in the room, uh, whether you're a, you know, a young guy or an old guy, whether you're a father or not a father, if you are a male gender and you know it, we've got a gift for you. So come on, each section, come up here and get a roll of duct tape on the house, free duct tape. You, you females, why don't you give these guys a big round of applause? We love our dads, and we're so thankful for them. Now, if you will remember, last month we honored all of our mothers with this uh, delicacy of chocolates, but then 
for a special mom in the service, we gave what? A gift certificate to a day spa so that they could go have all the things done to them, fingernails, toenails, facial. Dad's. Dad's day spa. Not. It's not what this is. But we do have a special gift for one dad, and you've got to be a dad to get this gift. When you came in, you, you should have gotten a little ticket. If you didn't get a ticket, raise your hand because we're going to draw tickets here in a second for the dad's. Raise your hand, the staff guy will get you a ticket, and uh, man, this is going to be awesome. It's going to be a, you're wondering what's in here, don't, aren't you? Everybody wonder? What, what could it be? What, what could we, well, we gave the, the moms a $200 uh, gift card, $201. No, not really, it's 200 as well. $200 gift card to where? Where do we think this is going to? You know, first service, people said Lowe's. That would, that would have been pretty good, but it's not. Academy. It is Academy. Woo, who wants to win this? Come on, let's hear it. I, I needed to have more jokes for you because we're still passing out tickets. Because We're going to draw a ticket here in just a second. If you didn't get one, raise your hand. We want everybody to have an equal chance to win this $200 gift certificate. Hey, guys, while they're passing me out, all the guys look at me. Dads, look at me. This is your day. So when you get home today, just sit back in the recliner, and if you need anything, just ring the bell. (laughs) And you know what? Ain't nothing going to happen. But you can ring that bell all you want to because it's your day. All right, we're doing good, guys. We just about got it. Okay, all right. Okay, you're getting it. For, I was thinking, Don, what are you doing getting? You're, I want to get it. Okay, you're helping out. Okay. All right, we good? Everybody got one? Everybody, everybody got one. We got one more to put in here? Last one to put in here. Man, this is, this is so exciting. Jason, yeah, do what they said first service. Shake that thing up good, Brother Jason. Yeah. <laughs> Who's feeling lucky? Come on, help me out here, guys. Get into this. Don, why don't you come up here and pick the winning ticket so they can't gripe at Jason or I? That's right. <laughs> I can't. It's rigged. It's not rigged. Man, yeah, if David wins, it's going to be rigged. Man, I'm sweating bullets up here, aren't you? Yeah, man, I'm nervous. That's exciting. Get your ticket. 469. Who's still in it? Come on. <laughs> yeah, I hope all of you are, right? Four, six, nine, four, six. Oh, oh. there it was. There, it was, man. There's one, there's one number left. This is it, man. I'm going to start over. Four, six, nine, four, six, five. Who won it? Who won? Who survived? Right Right back there in the back. Come on up here. Who is that? (laughs) Good deal. Come on up here, my brother. You you know why why your number was picked, don't you? Because you got the best looking beard in the house, man. (laughs) Don't you love it? Isn't this awesome? Bless you, buddy. Good to have you today. Glad that you're our Father's Day winner. $200 gift card to Academy. Give it up. 
After service, come on back up here and we'll take a picture, okay? All right, man, fantastic. Hey, and guys of you, if you didn't win, come back next year. It's going to be awesome. Would you all please stand? We're going to pray and ask God to bless this service, and we're going to keep praising the Lord and singing together. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, I love you so much. Thank you for your grace, mercy, and for salvation. I pray a blessing on this service, and may our praise be pleasing to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Let's sing.
love to tell you so many things about the trip that they're just all running through my head. I want to share so much. But uh, one thing that I do want to say is that um, it's, it's heart-wrenching that they are very, very, very religious in the country of Israel. Um, there were Orthodox Jews, Reformed Jews, Muslims, Christians, um, and everything is centered around religion and whatever your religious belief is. Um, a lot of the tourism um, that takes place in Israel, um, they're telling you about Jesus. Um, but the sad part is, you know, other than the Christian believers there, they still don't get it. They don't believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. And so this morning, if you're under the sound of my voice and you have not heard that, Jesus is real, and he is alive, and he is life-changing. And this song says that he makes a way when there ain't no way. And so in and of ourselves, we cannot do it, but trust in Jesus. Let me tell you about my Jesus. Let's sing it this morning. Are you past the point of weary? Is your burden weighing heavy? Is it all too much to carry?
intercede for others, Father. We thank you that you are with us, that you're in this very room, that we feel your presence and that your Holy Spirit is real and alive and moving in our hearts. Lord, we give all glory and all praise to you. You are the only one worthy, Father. There are other deities that claim to be, but there is none like our God, the one and only God. Lord, we praise you in this house today, and we thank you for this place of worship and this time of worship to call on your name and to thank you for your provisions. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Give the praise team a big hand. They did great today. Uh, my goodness. My Jesus. Boy, I love that song, don't you? It's, uh, it's one of my new favorite songs. Love to sing it, and I love to hear you sing it. Don did at the end what I was, man, woo! Woo! It's awesome, man. Hey, uh, I, some future date, I'm going to share more about our experience in the Holy Land. Just three things right now that stand out to me. Number one, I did get to float in the Dead Sea. And let me tell you, you do float in the Dead Sea. Uh, I got in the water, got up to my waist, and all of a sudden it was like a bobber. I just went on my back and my feet came up and I was floating. The problem was I couldn't get vertical. I I couldn't get, and I was yelling at Angie and she came over there and pushed my legs down and I popped back up and then went back down. So it was, it was really cool. I don't know how that happens, but it, it, it is an amazing, amazing place. Second thing is we got to go to the valley where David fought Goliath. And it, it was not visually what I had always thought it would look like, but it was an incredible place. There's a little dry creek bed flowing through there. And our tour guide said it was at this very creek where David went down and picked up five smooth stones and put them in his bag and defeated the giant. So guess what we did? We picked up five smooth stones. I put them in my pocket. Right now they're in Frankfurt, Germany in my luggage that is lost. But I want to bring those five smooth stones back and I'm going to put them on my desk just to remind me that when I face impossibilities in life, God is bigger than those impossibilities and the giants can be slain, all right? So that's, that's just a little reminder for me. I'll show you my five smooth stones if they ever make it back from Frankfurt, all right? The, the, the last highlight is probably the greatest thing. We went to the Jordan River, and uh, we, were, we re-baptized, all right? I was baptized when I was six years old, uh, when I received Jesus as my Savior. But I had two of my best friends, uh, Pastor Mike and Pastor Randy, that baptized me. And I had the privilege of re-baptizing Miss Angie. And uh, let me tell you, it was a phenomenal experience, and I can't wait to share more stories with you. And hopefully, one day in the future, I'll take you to the Holy Land. How's that sound? Well, we can talk about it. It'll be a great trip. But today is Father's Day, and so I want to speak to our dads and our fathers here, uh, because I'm telling you, we need to be fighting fathers. We need to be fighting for our families And the message that I want to preach is from two chapters, Genesis 18 and 19, 
This morning, I'd like to introduce you to a man by the name of Mr. Lott, his wife, Miss Lott, and they had two daughters, and they lived in the ancient city of Sodom. Mr. Lott moved his wife and their family to Sodom several years before uh, because he and his uncle Abraham kind of had a squabble. Uh, They had large flocks of sheep and goat and camels, and the land could not sustain all of their animals and their servants. And so Abraham said to his nephew Lot, I'm going to let you choose. You can either stay in the mountainous terrain or you can take this plush valley below. And you know what the young nephew Lot chose? He chose the plush valley. And so he moved his family down to the valley and they moved into the city of Sodom, which was a very prosperous place, but God had already warned them it was a wicked place. If you go back to Genesis chapter 13, verse 13, it says the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. But whilst Lot had his ambitious eye on the city of Sodom, God had his holy eye on the city of Sodom. And so that brings us to Genesis chapter 18. Uh, The Lord appeared to Abraham, and it was the Lord. It, It was what theologians call a theophany. The Lord himself appeared in physical form. Many theologians believe it was a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ himself. And he was flanked by two angels. There was a twofold purpose for his visit to Abraham. Abraham saw this man coming with two compadres. He didn't know it was the Lord and two angels, but he was glad to see them. And so he asked them to stay and eat a meal. Uh, He prepared meat, his wife prepared bread, and they sat under a tree and they ate together. And in the conversation, the Lord said to Abraham, Abraham, where is your wife Sarah? And he said, she's still over in this tent, to which the Lord replied, I'm going to come back this time next year, and your wife is going to have a baby boy. And the Bible says Sarah, who was in the tent, laughed to herself. Have you ever laughed to yourself? Like, (laughs) that's a joke. She said to herself, how in the world could that be? I'm an old woman, well past childbearing age. There is no way in the world I could have a baby. It is impossible. And the Lord said to Abraham, Abraham, why did your wife just laugh? Sarah heard that. She stuck her head out the tent and said, I didn't laugh. (laughs) To which the Lord said, oh, yes, you did. Shut her up pretty quick. And the Lord said, this may seem impossible to you, which it was, but nothing is impossible to the Lord. So the Lord and the angels got up, they were about to leave, and then the Lord had a conversation with himself. It's there in the biblical text. The Lord said to himself, should I tell Abraham what I am about to do to the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah? And then the Lord answered himself and said, yes, I'm going to, because Abraham is going to be the father of my people. And so he said to Abraham, the the cry from Sodom has come up to heaven, And I'm sending these two angels to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and I'm going to destroy them with fire and brimstone. Now, Abraham is taking all of this in, and his heart is wrenched because he knows who's in Sodom. 
his nephew Lot, his nephew's wife, and their two daughters. And so Abraham begins to bargain or plead with the Lord. Here's what he's doing. Look at me when I say this. He's interceding for his family. Man, I want you to hang on to that because that's your job, to intercede for your family. And he began bargaining with the Lord. He said, Lord, just, just pre-adventure, there are 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom. You, as a righteous judge, would not destroy the whole city if there would be 50 righteous people, would you? And the Lord said, no, if, if there's 50 righteous people there, I'll spare the city. Now, Abraham's a thinking man. He's thinking, you know, I've been down to Sodom. There, there ain't 50 righteous people in that town. And so he knocked the number down by five. What about 45, Lord? And then 40, then 35, 30. And he kept going down in five increments until he got all the way down to 10. And he said, Lord, pre-adventure, we find 10 righteous people in the city of Sodom. Would, would you still spare the city for 10 righteous people? To which the Lord said, if I can find 10 righteous people, I'll spare the city. Now remember that. And the angels go down to Sodom. Chapter 19 begins with Lot sitting in the city gates of Sodom. And he sees these two men approaching. He knows their visitors, their guests. He doesn't know their angels. But he reaches out to them and says, hey, hey guys, why don't you come over to my That he, there it goes for dinner and then you can spend the night in my house the two guys who were angels said no we'll just stay in the city square tonight to which Lot said you don't want to do that please I implore you come to my house they finally relented went to Lot's house his wife fixed them a great meal a great meal there was a lady on our trip to Israel who kept saying after every meal, I can't wait to get back home where I can eat a baked potato, steak, and a salad. Right? Because all the food we ate, even though it was good, it tasted the same, whether it was breakfast, lunch, or dinner. It just, it tasted different. So I ate Mexican food last night and really enjoyed it, all right? Miss Lott fixed them a great meal. They ate. They were about to go to bed, but all of a sudden they heard this ruckus outside the house. It was a mob scene. The Bible says all of the men of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house, and they were beating on the door, telling Lot, send those two men who are visiting in your house out to us. The King James says, we want to know them. Newer translations say we want to have homosexual relationships with them. All of the men of the whole city were there. Lot's freaking out. <laughs> he opens the door and steps out and says, guys, you don't want to do this. These, these, these are guests in my house. Please don't do this. And then he says something that just absolutely blows my mind. He says, I have two virgin daughters who are in the house and let me bring them out to you and you can do with them whatever you want to. We'll talk about that in a moment. But they said, no. Who do you think you are? You're just a stranger among us. We're going to do the same to you as we're going to do to them. About that time, the angel opened the door, reached out, grabbed Lot by the collar, drug him back in, and then both angels struck all of the men with blindness just like that they couldn't see anything 
They, they were fumbling about trying to find the door. They couldn't find the door because they were blind. And then the angel said to Mr. Lot, tomorrow morning we're going to destroy this city with fire and brimstone. If there is anyone in town that you know who's related to you, you go talk to them right now and tell them to get out of town. The Bible says Lot had two future son-in-laws, men who were engaged to his two daughters. He went to those two men and told them what was about to happen and implored them to leave, but they just laughed at Lot. Nothing like that's going to happen. It's never happened before. It ain't going to happen now. The next morning came, and the angels told Mr. and Mrs. Lot, the two daughters, get out of town. We're about to destroy this city. Apparently, they were dragging their feet, and so the angels literally took them by the hands and led them out of the city and gave them this strict warning. When the fire and brimstone start falling, don't look back. Well, you know what happened because you've read the story. Lot's wife looked back, and she turned into a, a pillar of salt. I love the true story about a Sunday school teacher telling this story to her, her little kids, Virgil, and got to that part, and the little girl raised her hand. She said, what, what is it, Nancy? And Nancy said, same thing happened to my mom. She looked back and turned into a telephone pole. <laughs> Come on, help me out here. It, it is pretty funny, isn't it? So Lot and his two daughters were the only survivors. They escaped to the mountains. Let let, let me tell you how this story concludes in Genesis chapter 19, verse 27. It says, And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. Then he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain. And he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land which went up like the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain, that is Sodom and Gomorrah, that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which he had dwelt. So here we have Abraham, this godly uncle, standing there looking down into the valley at this incredible scene of God's judgment on a vile and wicked city. Somewhere above the valley, Lot and his daughters, no doubt, were were thinking about what had just happened to them. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, they were thinking about all the lessons that they had just learned. Men, dads, listen to me. There are some lessons in Genesis 19 you need to learn today. There are some lessons from Mr. and Miss Lot that all of us need to learn. There are lessons in this passage today that are custom fit for our families at Kavanaugh Church. What are they? Three of them. Number one, we live in a spiritual war zone. Mark it down. I don't care what your address is. I don't care if you live in Oklahoma or Arkansas. We are living in a spiritual war zone. When you think of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah in Abraham's day, maybe 4,000 years ago, it is uncanny the similarities of our own world today where sinful behavior prevails. 
The cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were notorious for their sexual perversion. In fact, the very name Sodom, even today, is a synonym for homosexual behavior. Sodom stands for everything our holy God hates. And it is a perfect biblical picture of what the Bible means when it talks about the world. Sodom is a picture of the world. This world is the spiritual war zone where our families live. And there are some things we need to know about this war zone that we're calling the world. We must be alert to two things. Number one, the ruler of this world. Who is the ruler? 1 John 5, 19. We know that we are of God and the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one. And who is the wicked one? Revelation 12, 9. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were also cast out with him. Now, we know the devil is a defeated enemy. Jesus defeated Satan when he rose from that empty tomb. But even though he is a defeated enemy, he is still a very dangerous and powerful enemy. And he works with his evil angels called demons, and the Bible tells us what they're up to today. They are here to steal, to kill, and destroy. He is the ruler of this world, and he hates you. The devil hates your family. The devil wants to destroy your family. He's not your friend. So you need to be aware of the ruler of this world. Secondly, you need to be aware of the rules in which he plays by. You, you remember when you were a kid and, and somebody would always want to change the rules? To make them to their advantage or, or, or somebody who just cheated all the time and broke the rules well that's kind of like the devil what are the world's rules first John chapter 2 verses 15 through 17 do not love the world or the things that are in the world if anyone loves the world the love of the Father is not in him for all that is in the world the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father but it is of the and the world is passing away and the lust thereof. But he who does the will of God is going to live forever. So the world has a ruler. And the world has its own set of rules. The New Testament speaks of the world here as a system of attitudes and values that are opposed to the attitude and values of a holy God. And these rules are embodied and fleshed out by the people of the world. Now the world's rules are on display very prominently every day in which we live. You get up in the morning, you're going to see the ruler of this world and his rules. They are seen in the media, the music, the television, the movies that we watch. And if we're not careful, our hearts are going to be enticed by the values of this world which are opposite of the values of God. Now, just like God had Sodom in the crosshairs of his righteous judgment, he's also got an eye on our world today. 
And I think he's looking directly at the USA. The Bible tells us what is going to happen eventually to the ruler and the rules of this world. 1 John chapter 2, verse 17. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God, he's going to live forever. So you know what? As Christ followers, we've got to be different. We are living in a spiritual war zone. The whole world is going that way. We can't go along with them. We've got to be different. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 tells us about this. Do not be conformed to this, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. One of the paraphrases of this verse says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold, because it's trying to. James chapter 4, verse 4 puts it like this, rather bluntly it says, adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now guys, look at me. Men, look at me. You know what that means? You can't have one foot in the world and the other foot in the church. It doesn't work like that. In fact, Jesus said to the church in Revelation, don't be lukewarm. Don't try to live both for the world and for God. Because if you do that, God is going to spew you out of his mouth. Now, take note of this. We love the world, the people of the world, because Jesus does. God sent his son Jesus to die for the people of the world. We want to see people saved. Even those who reject him and hate him and oppose him, we still need to love those people and we need to pray for their salvation. But at the same time, we can't go into their world and be like them. We can't be enticed by the worship of this world because this world is not our home. We've got to be different. Now, I know you're sitting there thinking, preacher, how can this be? How, how can I do this? I work in the world. I live in the world. I shop in the world. I go to school in this world. Am I supposed to become some kind of free will Baptist monk or monkette? <laughs> and the answer is no. That, that is not at all what God is calling us to do. We are in the world, yes, but we are not of the world. Every day we've got to fight the battle not to get sucked in to this world's rules. We don't have to become like the world to win the world. And, and let me just say as a side issue, if you try to do that, if you, if you just become like the world, you can't win people anyway. There, there's got to be a difference there. You've got to be different than the world. Now, God loves the people of the world, all of them, good and bad, red, yellow, black, and white. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but for all to come to him. So here we see Lot struggling to keep his family intact in that incredibly evil and hostile atmosphere. Lot and his family were a minority in their community. And can I just say, if you live for Jesus in our world today, and even in America, you're going to be in the minority? 
The first lesson that we learn is that the world in which our families are living is a spiritual war zone. And I don't want your family to become a casualty. So, lesson number two. Our families need some godly leaders who are willing to protect them. I'm not going on until somebody says amen. Our families need some godly leaders, and it all starts with dads who are willing to stand up and protect their families. I read an article not long ago, it appeared in Psychology Today, about absentee fathers. And and I kind of thought I knew what this article was going to say, but it took a turn on me. Here's what it said. Missing fathers are linked to daughters' early sexual activity. It went on to say a father's absence ups a daughter's risk for early sexual activity and teenage pregnancy, according to a recent long-term study. And it went on to talk about absentee fathers. And I've heard that term for a long time now. But you know what? It means more than just a father's physical absence from the home. Really what an absentee father's real reality is, is their spiritual and moral absence from the home as well. You can be there in person, but if you are not the spiritual force or the moral standard in your family, you're an absentee father. You're not being a biblical father. Now, you know what we like to do in America right now? We like to play the blame game, don't we? I'm going to step over here. I didn't really give you all the gift I wanted to give you, guys. The, the, the big gift, the Academy gift card. I, I, had, I had another gift picked out for you. Ruger, you know what Ruger is, gun manufacturer. Ruger's making a little sweet little 22 that, that is... Uh, it's uh, kind of an Old West single-shot 22. Have you seen them? There's, I can't remember the exact name of them. But I was going to buy two of those and give one to a guy in each service. I thought, what a cool gift, man. Wouldn't that have been cool? Some of you are seeing, yeah. But then we had the mass shooting down in Texas at that school. And I thought, hmm, that may not be a good gift to give this year. It breaks my heart when something like that happens. But here's our reaction as a country. Oh, we, we need more gun control. We, need, we just need to take all the guns away. Let me tell you, people were killing other people long before guns were invented. Not, it's not the gun that kills. And then they start blaming other things. They, they start blaming, we don't, we don't have enough security in our schools. We don't have this, we don't have that. But they're avoiding the real problem. In every school shooting that we have had in the USA, the shooter has been a young person who was raised in a broken family with an absentee father. Every one of them. And this kid down in Texas, not only was his daddy gone, his mama was gone. He was living with his grandmother, who he hated, and he even shot her. So you know what the real problem is? The family is broken down. Spiritual and moral values are not being taught. 
and we don't have men of God who are fighting for their kids and fighting for their wife and fighting for their family against the real enemy who is the devil. The story of Genesis 19 begins with Lot sitting in the gate of the city. Now, most biblical scholars believe that that was an indication that Lot was a man of influence. In fact, we visited some sites in Israel this past week of ancient cities, and in every one of those sites, there was a place in the city gate where the king or the governor of that city sat, and all of the men who were leaders in the city sat there as well. The city gate in the Old Testament was like city hall today. And so we've got to wonder why Lot wasn't doing something about the evil atmosphere in his city. Why, why, he, why was he just sitting there and not doing anything? I mean, it, it doesn't make sense. He, he, he should have been doing something to, to fight the evil in his city because the next thing we see is Mr. Lot standing in the entrance, not of the city gates, but of his own home trying to fight off an evil mob. Lot was standing at the door of his house fighting off the wicked influence of the city, but you kind of get the impression that he is already so compromised that he's fighting a losing battle. And he ends up doing something that I just, it freaks me out, man. He ends up offering his daughters to these depraved men. Look at the biblical text, Genesis 19, verse 8. See, now I have two daughters who have not known a man. That means they were virgins. Please let me bring them out to you, and you can do to them whatever you want to. Only do nothing to these men, since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. I can't comprehend that. I've, I've tried to mentally justify what Lot is doing, and, and the only justification I can come up with is he knew these men were intent on, on having homosexual sex with the two visitors in his house. So maybe he's thinking, they won't even touch my daughters. But that doesn't make any sense either, does it? I mean, what in the world is going on here? Maybe a little bit of Sodom had soaked into his heart. In contrast to this, Lot was blessed to have a godly uncle, Abraham, a man of great faith who was at that very moment praying for his nephew and his family. Genesis 18, 25, Abraham is in this conversation with the Lord, far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous should be judged as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is right? And we know from reading the New Testament that the righteous for whom Abraham was interceding was his own nephew and his family. Here's the bottom line. We need some godly leaders in our homes. We need godly leaders in our church. We need godly leaders in our community. Edmund Burke, the great British statesman, was the one who said, all that is needed for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing. Guys, let me tell you, 
You need to dig your heels in. And you need to fight for your families. Because we live in a bad world. I like watching old TV shows. Because, yeah, I'm like, <laughs> you know, I love watching Mayberry. Also like watching Little Rascals. Now, they were before my time, I have to admit, but I, I enjoy watching the gang. That little dog was cool, wasn't he? There's one episode I can remember. The, the gang decided they wanted to help out the local fire department. And so every time there was a fire, they would, they would get their little wagon, their fire wagon ready, and they would go to the fire and they would help the, the real firemen. How, how did they know there was a fire? Because Alfalfa was sitting on top of a barn watching. And he had this hat on and it said, looker. Looker. That, that's, that's his job, to look. And when he saw smoke, he would call down to the gang and tell them where it was. And, and they would head off to help them. Listen to me. We need some dads, some moms, and some grandparents who are the lookers for our family. You're looking out there and you're seeing the threat in your own guard. I don't remember what time it was because I was halfway delirious, but we got on a plane in Frankfurt, Germany to fly from Frankfurt to DFW. And we, hadn't, we, had, to, we had to sit there for an hour and a half before we left because they were having some kind of problem with, with loading, guess what, the luggage. And during that time, this, this guy kept getting up and walking around. And he, Stacy, he was, he was kind of spooky looking anyway. He was a big, big, big guy. Big, huge guy. And, and he kept doing weird stuff, man. I mean, he was, he was shaking, rubbing his head, and his head closed his eyes, and he was mumbling around. I mean, in all the people in our section of that airplane, I mean, everybody was freaking out. And he, kept, he just kept moving all over the place and bumping into people and saying things. And, and finally, a stewardess brought him from his seat up to first class. Now, I was not in first class, but I could see first class. And they gave him a seat there. There was a lady sitting close to us who, who asked that stewardess, what's wrong with that man? And she came up with this explanation that he had told her, and it didn't make much sense because I overheard it. And, it would... and he just kept on. We, finally, we were finally about to take off, and, you know, they tell you to sit down and strap in. Well, he got up right as we were taking off. And the, the head steward got on the intercom and said, Please, sir, sit down now. And he finally sat down. There, there were some, he was two rows in front of us. The row right in front of us had two, Scott had two young teenage girls. Their dad was in another section. He kept coming back to check on them. These girls were flat freaking out. The guy was spooky. And he kept doing this the whole flight, and, and, and they, they just kept doing things for this guy and kept checking on him and kept moving around. And, and he got in this one girl's face, and she raised her hands up, get away from me. I mean, it was, it was spooky. You, you read all these stories about violence happening on an airplane. I'm thinking, we're, we're going to crash. This guy's, this guy's crazy. 
about halfway into the flight, I was going to take me a pill and go to sleep because it's a 10-hour flight. But I looked at Angie and said, you know what, I'm, I'm afraid, I'm really fearful to take that pill and go to sleep because I don't know what that guy's going to do. Gary, the, that head steward walked by me and I said, certainly, what, what, what's up with this guy? And he told me the same story that the stewardess had told this lady over here. And I said, mm, I, don't, I don't know about that, man. He's, and, and here's what the guy said to me. He said, are you a doctor? I said, no, I'm just a concerned passenger. And then he knelt down and whispered to me, I'm concerned too. He said, would you help me keep an eye on this guy? Because I may need to come and get your help. Whew. I didn't sleep that whole trip, man. You know why? The person I love the most is sitting next to me. And I, I got into that, I got into that man mode. <laughs> and I was mentally thinking about, okay, what if he starts doing something, comes back here and tries to mess with him Angie? How am I going to take that guy down? Because he's, let me tell you, he's a lot bigger than me. But I came to the conclusion, I can do it. I'm glad I didn't have to. <laughs> Just to finish the story, when we did get to DFW and got down there to pick up our luggage, he was acting fine. So I don't know what that deal was about. Dads, would you be the lookers? Would you be the protectors for your family? Because here's the deal. The time for action is now. Lesson number three, the time to do something is right now. The, the angels told Lot to take action now to get his family out of the wake of God's judgment now. And I think the Lord is saying to all of us today, don't hesitate. What are you dragging your feet for? This world is falling apart and going to hell. Your family is living in a spiritual war zone. Be the man of God I've called you to be. And take action now. Do the right thing now. I heard that while I was gone, y'all had a lot of rain. Did you? You never know what the weather's going to do in Arkansas. It, sometimes it blows in from Oklahoma. You never know what's going to Let, Let's say that tonight before you go to bed, you're watching the TV. All of a sudden, the weatherman comes on. And he's got his sleeves rolled up. He's saying, listen, citizens of Fort Smith, we've spotted an F5 tornado, and it's headed for, and they give your neighborhood's name. What are you going to do? You're going to some kind of safe place. I hope you are. Don't be like my dad. I, I told you this story a long time ago, I think. It was a Sunday night. We lived in Midland, Texas, six miles north of Midland. We were driving home after church on a Sunday night. It was about to get dark, and my sister, Sherita, was sitting in the back seat next to me, and here's what this little meteorologist sister of mine said. It looks like a tornado could come tonight. I looked at her, and forgive me, 
I said, you're a dumb head. <laughs> That's just the way we communicated each other back then. And, and we got into this squabble to which my dad turned around driving and started whacking both of us. He didn't care who he hit. We got home. Mama went to the kitchen, pulled out the frying pan. We were eating fried bologna sandwiches that night. That was Sunday night delicacy in our house. Watching the TV, we only had two stations. Watching one station, all of a sudden the weather guy pops on and says, they have spotted a tornado on the ground eight miles north of Midland. We lived how many miles north? And about that time, we heard the locomotive coming. You could hear the rumble. Tornado was headed right for us. My mama, y'all know my mama. She weighed 95 pounds back then. She whisked my sister and I up, took us into the bedroom and put us under their bed. Now, I don't know how safe that was going to be. But apparently in her mind, that was the safest place we had. And we were under the bed screaming, scared to death. And I was calling out, get Pooty, get Pooty. <laughs> Pooty was our little poodle dog. And I didn't want Pooty blown away in that tornado. And then we noticed Dad wasn't under the bed. And I was crying, Daddy, Daddy, where are you? He's eating his fried bologna sandwich. <laughs> Finally, he came in there and sat on the edge of the bed, and I was grabbing his leg. I can remember this. I was, just, I was grabbing his leg, trying to pull him under the bed. Please, Daddy. Can... Yeah, it'll be okay. You know, tornado going to hurt me. <laughs> you know, that tornado was on the ground right up to our backyard. It, lift, it picked up our swing set in the backyard, rolled it up into a ball, went over our house, and put the swing set in the front yard and kept going and started tearing roofs off of houses south of us. So if you hear there's an F5 tornado coming, don't keep eating your bologna sandwich. <laughs> Get to a safe place. God has not called us to live in a cave. I mean, we are living in this real world, yes, but you know what? We are here to make a difference in this world. We are to flee immorality. We are to avoid the very appearance of evil. And we are to take action now. I like what Joshua said, Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. You know this passage. And if it seems evil for you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether it be the gods that your fathers served on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now dwell. But as for me and my house, daddy's talking now. As for me and my family, we are going to serve the Lord. Guys, you got to dig your heels in. I, I just, you know, I just don't want to force my kids. force them they're living in your house under your roof you're paying for their food their clothing you, you, you better make them while they they're there they'll thank you for it later and it's your job we've been talking a lot about mr lot haven't we but there's another very important person in the story miss lot i don't know i read through this story and i kind of get the impression that that uh, she was not all that excited about leaving sodom I think she enjoyed her status there. And when the angel expressed, whisk up Lot and his family out of town, 
They were told, don't look back. Whatever you do, don't look back. Why was that? Well, I, I think it had to do not with just getting Lot and his family out of Sodom. I think it had a whole lot to do with getting Sodom out of Lot and his family. D does anyone know what Luke 17.32 says? It's, it's one of the shortest verses in the Bible. In English, it's only three words. Here it is. Remember Lot's wife. In the context of Luke 17, it is a warning about worldliness and about being prepared for the second coming of Jesus Christ. And you need to be aware of that too, my friends. Whether you're a dad, a mom, a parent, a grandparent, you need to be aware of the times in which we are living. And it's not a bad idea to remember Lot's wife. So listen, dad's, mom's, Remember, we're living in a spiritual war zone. Whether you like it or not, it's where we live. And we need some godly parents who are going to take a stand for our family and fight for our families to protect our families. And the time to do that is right now. We need you. Dads, I'm, call, I'm calling you out this morning. We need you to be men of God. We need you to make those hard decisions. Your family needs you. This church needs you. And our country needs you. I can't think of a better place or time for you to bring your family, guys, to an altar like these and commit your home to the Lord. Maybe you're here this morning, you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Jesus is the one who can make all the difference in your home and in your life would you trust him today and then for those of you who are family units why don't, why don't you just come and spend some time around the altars with the family of faith asking God to help your family live for the Lord Heavenly Father I pray a blessing on what we're about to do in this service as we open these altars for people to come and pray and I pray dear Lord that we would take advantage of this time that moms and dads would bring their families to the altar and pray together as a family. And if there is a need in anyone's life, I pray that they would come to Jesus, the one who can meet that need today. So, Lord, we just commit this to you. We ask for your grace, your help, and your mercy. I pray, dear Jesus, that you would speak to hearts and change lives and help us to take action right now. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask that you just stand up and step out, okay? Come on, just, just come with, everybody should come. Family should come. So bring your family to the altar right now. Let's pray together. Come now.
Lord, we do love you. Thank you for your presence in this service. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who is here to comfort us and guide us and convict us. And I pray, dear Lord, that that we would become men and women and families of God. I pray specifically this morning for the men of this church and the guys who are in this room. Lord, I I know there's, there's all kinds of pressure from the world for us to compromise and give in and back up, but I pray that today we would make that determination that we're going to live for you, that we're going to be sold out for Jesus, that we're going to stand up for our families, and that we're going to protect them. Lord, help us to become the men and fathers you've called us to be. And for those who are struggling with with any kind of issue in this room today, I pray that they would just turn that over to you, Lord, and ask for your help your strength, your grace, and your guidance. I love you, Lord, and I love these people. May your blessings be on us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. You can be seated just for a moment. Amen. Isn't God good? I think it's always good to give God a hand. Why don't you do that right now as we thank him for this great, great, wonderful day. Just a couple of reminders as you leave the room, uh, would you please put your offering in one of those black boxes that are across the back, uh, close to the doors. Uh, For those of you who are members of church, uh, make sure you support the ministry here. If you're a guest, take that guest card to our Connect counter. We want to trade it in for a gift card to Chick-fil-A. I love Chick-fil-A, don't you? And I'm thankful that they're not open today. So you can't use it today, but you can sure use it tomorrow. You you probably noticed that Eric Brew, our bass guitarist, is not here today. His father got sick this past week, and so he flew home uh, just in time to be with his dad as he left this earth. So Eric's father passed away. Please be praying for him, his mom, and their family. Brother Johnny is going to leave this afternoon with a bunch of your kids to take them to camp. They're going to Camp Beaver Fork. Man, Angie, you love Camp Beaver Fork, don't you? You, you, you were there when you were just a little bitty girl. Did you get saved at Camp Beaver Fork? And they got a lot of great memories. Uh, all our kids went to Camp Beaver Fork, and Johnny is going to take a bunch of kids to camp today. So pray, pray, Gail, pray for Brother Johnny as he takes all these kids to camp. You know what time they're leaving? Is it 2? They leaving at 2 o'clock? 2? Y'all are going with them, aren't you? Good luck. (laughs) We're praying for y'all. 2 o'clock, these kids. Pray for them every day. Do what? Yeah, you got your duct tape. That's great, man. I'm already knowing what you're thinking right here. About 10 o'clock at night, little strips about that long, so... Oh, my goodness. It's going to be a great, great day. Hey, I love you guys. I appreciate you so much. Dads, please take the rest of the day off. Get that bell out. Do all the dingling you want to. It ain't going to do you any good, but just do it anyway. It makes you feel better. God bless you. Stay out of trouble this next week. God bless you. We'll see you.